Happy Halloween, Conrad. Are you a shark? I am a shark. I am not a blue shark. But yes, I'm a shark. This is my kid's Halloween costume when he was, I think, two or three. It fit his whole body, and now it just fits my head, which makes my wife very sad. You look adorable in pink with a cute little nose there, Guy. What you got on? I am Cheer Bear, my daughter's costume, because... I wasn't really in the Halloween spirit this year. I had this gladiator mask, but uh, we thought this would be more appropriate for the show. So thank you, Alex, for Cheer Bear. Conrad, what else are we talking about besides our Halloween costumes? Besides our Halloween costume, as usual, we're going over the news. And then we're going to go deep on annual planning, both the things that you should bring when you're thinking about annual planning, as well as metrics that you should consider. We also gave away another hat and are answering another User question. Mr. Lockwood, hit the music. Money makes a world go round. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice. Here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. We are back every other Wednesday to help you grow your firm and stay on top of the latest in the industry. Speaking of staying on top of things, let's hit the news. All right. Our good friends at CallRail have an integration with MyCase, which is awesome because MyCase has been a bit of a walled garden. It does not surprise me that one of the first integrations that they did was with our good dynamic call tracking friends over at CallRail. In other news, Google's LSAs, we are seeing them. They used to be frequently showing up as a trio. They're now showing up as a duo. So the number of LSAs showing up have dropped from three to two by and large. Because Google makes more money off of clicks than they do off of leads. There you go. Interesting. Cynical point number one brought to you by AttorneySync. Gee, what else has been ruined by SEOs on the internet? Uh, the entire internet has been ruined by SEOs, according to a recent Verge article. I encourage you to check it out. I think it gives you a good lay of the land and some of the forces at play. TLDR, spam still works until it doesn't. And if you don't like your Google results, you can just beat up the SEOs. Beat up the SEOs. I love that. It is all... Your fault, Guy. We would also like to congratulate a bunch of people who we are fairly good friends with who have just put out Tiger Tactics, going from zero to law firm CEO. These are 13 professionals who have really gone from being a lawyer to running a law firm. Friends of ours, Ryan McKean, Billy Tarasco, Bill Umansky, Elise Bowie, Jennifer Gore, a bunch of people who we are great friends with and their Tiger Tactics is doing really, really well. I'd recommend checking it out on Amazon. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. All right, and finally, we haven't talked enough about AI yet, but we will now. Pross of the Fugees retrial. And it was because his previous attorney, David Kenner, was ineffective because he relied on AI programming to write a damaging closing argument. So I highlight this to build on the Clear Legal Trends report that came out and we covered last time. But if you remember from our last episode, one of the things that we called out was 50% of people do not feel comfortable with their lawyers using AI. And this is why, stuff like this. And so once again, another warning not to let AI 
do your opening and closing arguments without some expert lawyerly review. Right? So there's place for AI in your law firm. Um, and there's plenty of ways to make it go bad. When we come back, we're going to take a very high-minded perspective and go over the anatomy of an annual plan. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app. Smart firms use CallRail to track where every lead comes from. PPC, LSA, organic search, or even offline ads. CallRail tells you which channels drive your best leads. CallRail even integrates with your favorite CRM or practice management tools to help manage your leads and see the ROI on your marketing investments. Know exactly which marketing tools work. Plans start at 45 bucks a month. We recommend CallRail to every single one of our clients. Go to callrail.com slash lunch hour now and try it for free. And we're back. And this segment in part was inspired, you know, Conrad and I talk about this kind of stuff all the time, but recently I had a conversation with my business partner, Jeff Berman, and it went a little bit something like this. You know, we get all these lawyers, Jeff talks to the lawyer, he's the first person usually to conduct our exploratory calls. And I said, you know, are we asking these prospective clients what success looks like for them? Where do they want to go over the next 12 months? And he said, you know, out of 100 lawyers I talked to, most of them say, I don't know where to go. So Conrad and I are here. We're going to tell you the answer to that question and what you should be looking at in answering the where are we going question. We've covered this in the past. You'll remember we talked about the percentage of your revenue that should be spent on marketing, right? And, and budgeting. This question comes up, crops up all the time on social media. What percentage of my revenue should I spend on marketing? And the answer is usually given as a number. The answer really is it depends on what you're trying to do, right? How far are you trying to go? What is your objective? Are you trying to maximize your profitability? Then the answer is very, very different than if you're trying to take over downtown Chicago, right? And so you need to start with those business objectives. And, and I don't know how many of you guys are actually going through this annual planning process where you're getting some stakeholders together, people who can actually move the needle, and thinking through where do we want to go in 2024? And if you don't do that, talking to me or Guy and asking what we should do from a marketing perspective, it's very much cart before the horse. Guy, what are some of the things that you think a firm should bring to the table or questions to address when they are doing an annual plan? Yeah, so we're big on EOS. We've talked about EOS before. We run it at our own company. We encourage law firms. The book is Traction. Give a shout to the lawyerist small firm roadmap. It's a similar thing, but it's basically, you know, part of the process is this annual planning. And so for me, the big three things that we want to start setting out is what is our target revenue and profit? And what are the measurables that we're going to use? And we're going to go deeper on the measurables for the coming year. You know, not enough 
firms, when they're having marketing conversations, you know, not even marketing, call it growth conversations, are like, let's put a revenue or a fee target on the board. And so to me, that's one thing that I would start with. Yeah. And I mean, revenue is clearly the obvious and easy one to look through. And and yet most of you aren't, aren't bothering to do that. You know, everything backs into revenue. I do think the one issue with PI firms is in many cases that revenue and the activities to generate that revenue, they're, they're kind of far off. And so you're probably looking 12, 18 months out. So you can come up with different metrics around that. But you said, and I think this was very, very, it was subtle, but it was very important. You said growth instead of marketing. Why did you make that distinction? I think people have too myopic a view of marketing. You know, I think that once we like put our marketing hat on, it's just so narrow and so many things impact growth and, you know, and growth, you know, that's why the industry is moving to this idea of like chief revenue officers or Mm. growth hacking over marketing. You know, marketing is just getting this, um, there's a connotation about it that just it's not inclusive enough. And so, you know, especially law practices, there's so much overlap between client experience and, you know, reviews and testimonials and, you know, opportunities to stay in touch with former clients and other referral sources. And like, I think when we say marketing, I think people mostly think of like ads or like billboards or something. I feel like they stop when we talk about marketing, they stop at the lead, right? And I feel like a lot of firms, and this is, you know, this may come across as defensive as from an agency guy, but a lot of firms are like, oh, if I just had more leads, everything else we've got worked out. And the problem with our growth is the leads. And Guy, I mean, you and I both know that that is not always the case. In fact, that is rarely the case. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, I think and I don't want to steal your thunders and you're going to talk about it. But like, you know, if you're doing an annual planning session and like one of your big initiatives is to grow into a new location or grow into a new service offering, like that's not just a marketing thing that needs to be part of that planning process, right? Absolutely. I think the, um, you know, bringing things to the annual plan, one of those things to bring is, do we have any big expansion plans? Are we trying to move into, like, this is the time to hash out whether or not you're going to move into the Poughkeepsie market or not, right? And then put some metrics around what that would look like. Or are we going to expand or narrow our practice area focus. This happens more frequently than you would think. We've got some clients who, you know, exogenous variables have made personal injury in Florida a little less attractive. And so they're moving entirely into different markets. This is a great time to revisit that, right? And sit back and think. And so so you're not reactive, right? We're looking a year ahead, maybe three years ahead, and recognizing that, you know, there are things that we want to change. And so a new market, either geographically or a new market from a practice or a narrowing of either, the annual planning session is a great time to actually have that conversation, right? The other thing I would want to bring, and you and I talk a lot about not being so myopically focused on tactically what the competition is doing, but I do think this is a good time to sit back and list out your competitors, right? And it, it might not just be law firms. It might be the do-it-yourselfers, right? So think out of the box. This is a lot of, of kind of high-level contemplation. But what is going on in the competitive set? What is going on, like, even tactically, how does your local Falcon scan look today compared to how it did at the beginning of last year, right, when you were doing this? And ideally, you've got those saved. But understanding who's coming for you, who's not, right? And 
where there are opportunities or where there are threats, right? We talked about SWAT, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Those threats are frequently the competition. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, we're big on SWOT analysis, part of the um, annual. And if you go search for like EOS annual planning agenda, you can pull this stuff, the templates for this stuff, that at least the stuff that some of the stuff I pulled. So SWOT analysis on there. The other thing, and you mentioned this too, and I should qualify when I was talking about revenue, you know, revenue, profit, and the measurables, you should be looking at the reviewing those on a 10 year basis. Like, what is your goal to look like 10 years from now? They call it 10-year target, three-year picture, one-year plan. But the point is, is that I think everybody is so short-term focused. You know, I need leads today. I need my phone to ring today. You're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking long-term enough. It makes you less likely to make longer-term investments in your business because you're so focused on those short-term, those 90-day windows. Um, and so I, th I think the annual planning process is a good time to sit back and reflect on like, where are we really trying to go over the next three, 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I like to do with, with an annual planning session is to talk about the things you're not doing. Tactically, what are we not doing? What marketing channels are we not engaged in? This is a time to talk about, is radio right for us? Or what is happening in radio? If we, you know, we've decided long ago that pay-per-click doesn't work for us. Now's the time to maybe reconsider that. Or maybe that's the time to say, hey, you know what? We spent a whole bunch of money on pay-per-click and that was our most expensive marketing channel and we don't need to grow that fast next year. So maybe we should cut pay-per-click, right? It's a good time. But think about the things that you're not doing, right? Now's the time to think about what are we not gonna do? Maybe SEO hasn't been in the mix. Maybe your newsletter hasn't been in the mix, an email newsletter, right? This is the time to bring all these things up and validate whether or not you think that's something that, that we should do, put some targets around getting those things off the ground, and then coming back to that and seeing whether or not it was actually effective. So think out of the box from the things, not just that you're doing, but really what you're not doing. Yeah, I agree. And you um, alluded to this in talking about, in the context of like target market, another big thing from the EOS annual plan to look at every year is what they call your three uniques, which are essentially unique selling propositions or like, why would someone hire you, right? And this is a constant refinement. But again, so many of our conversations with lawyers go like this. I'm a personal injury lawyer in New York. Well, that's not positioning. There's nothing unique about that. And so annual planning, like come ready to poke holes in those things that you think are your positioning statements, your unique selling propositions, try some new stuff and really put those to the test. And you should be, and again, this is an annual process, right? So you should be, if you're bookmarking this or you're taking the template down, this isn't just like do it this year and then you're done. This is something you should be doing at least once a year. To me, that still is one of the big blind spots for so many firms is that they're not thinking about how to position themselves against their competitors. Like those three things together, have to be something that helps you stand out or else you're just making it a lot harder for yourself. So my big takeaway here, Guy, and you started off and we've had this same conversation with firms as well, is most of you, and let me rephrase that. Let me not besmirch the entire audience. Many of you don't have a clear understanding of where you want to go in 2024. And it's certainly not quantifiable. And we're going to get into the quantifiable metrics on the other side of the ad. But spend the time, November, December, Lots of work kind of slows down. This is a great time. Spend the time. Stop what you're doing right now. Put it on the calendar. Get the people who are going to be able to make decisions 
and have the ability in the firm to have an impact on where you want to go and have that conversation, right? When we do it at a client on site with a client, it's a day long session, right? This is not like a, a lunch meeting. So if that's not on your calendar or if it hasn't been on your calendar, I plead with you to make that happen. When we come back, we're going to go into three metrics from Guy, three metrics from Conrad around what you think a key number should be when you are considering 2024. So if you happen to run into Guy and myself, the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing merch has finally become reality, and we are giving away an amazing trucker hat to those of you who ask a question. We gave away, I think, 25 or so at Clio, so we've got a lot of good questions. If you want a hat, send us a question, and we will send you a Lunch Hour Legal Marketing hat if both Guy and I like your question. Haha, there you go. So... Mr. Lockwood, what is the question Guy and I are going to answer right now? So my name is Alex Rodriguez. I am the founder of Industrial Business Lawyers. And my like main marketing question is, I see a lot of hype now with like ChatGPT and how that is affecting marketing, but I still haven't figured out how it is that ChatGPT and the large language models affect on SEO. So if I'm like starting to compete with like other companies and they have access to the same tools, how can I have a leg up? How do you have a leg up when ChatGPT can create content? Guy, what's your answer to this? Well, there's a lot of different ways to answer this. The first one is search engines and people are less and less able to tell the difference. Just straight up, frankly. I mean, we talked about this before. You can go search for ChatGPT for legal marketing. But to me, again, this it's all a red herring. Like, It doesn't matter whether ChatGPT wrote it or a person wrote it. Are you writing something, and from an SEO perspective, it all comes about capturing demand. So are you satisfying the searcher's intent, or is your chat GPT post satisfying the searcher's intent? If it is, it's more and more likely going to show up in search engine results. And the other thing that I would say too is, is that remember, you know, we think about SEO, it's to me, SEO isn't just about appearing for relevant queries. It's motivating a user to click through, like what they're reading, and then contact or hire or buy, depending on what the site is. And if your content is just designed to rank, you aren't going to get halfway there. It's not going to make you any money. What do you think, Conrad? See, I know that Guy listens to Chris Walker because he said capture demand. It's a very Chris Walker comment. For those of you who want to explain your mind on, on marketing, check out Chris Walker. Revenue Vitals podcast, amazing. My take on this answer is what AI-generated content has done is it's basically leveled the playing field for content. It used to be that a very, very large site had an advantage because it just had the page count and it could get the long tail queries and all of that stuff. No longer a competitive advantage. You asked how to get a leg up? Well, the reality is for the little guy, it's leveled the playing field. And, and this is a macro concept. So you now no longer are at a disadvantage because you don't have the page count. There are other elements of the SEO stool that need to be done well, but it is no longer the ability to churn out article after article after article after article, which takes a ton of time. You know, here's another thing to think about. So, you know, we yeah. talked about this, we, we talked about this Verge article at the top of the, in the news section of this episode. ChatGPT can't write that article. So you want to stand out? Go see what The Verge journalist is doing, right? It's original research. It's original interviews. Maybe you have original data that's available to you that ChatGPT doesn't have. But that's the way to set yourself apart. I mean, that writer, 
there's no way ChatGPT could write that article. And yeah. so, you know, is that right? That that journalist has nothing to worry about because they're actually doing the legwork. They're going out and interviewing people in the industry. That's the way to stay relevant as a writer for ChatGPT. But again, I'm it's not a binary thing in my opinion. Like if that writer used ChatGPT to help come up with the interview, hey, ChatGPT, what questions would you ask SEOs and blah, blah, blah about how SEOs have ruined the internet? That can be a good use of the tool. But I don't know, it just as we were talking about it, like that article does such a good job of showing the example of where ChatGPT is. Now, again, could generative AI eventually with the right prompts and the right inputs like, get there? Maybe. But this is the whole point, though, is, is that you know people, they hear about this technology and they're like, oh, this is awesome. I never have to write again. I can have all my pages created by generative AI. And you're not going to get the same quality of thing if you do that. Just like you're not going to get the same quality of thing if you hire you know, your second grader to go write your blog posts, <laughs> right? I mean, that's a human, but it's not a human who's an expert who can speak expertly about their expert subject matter. So anyway. All right. If you want a hat... Send us a question. Review us on Apple. Give us a rating on Spotify. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, sorry. That wasn't a review us and get a hat. Let me be really clear to all of those ethical people out there who I just blew their mind. Please review us on Apple. Please review us wherever you may get your podcast. In we won't get you a hat, different news, you will not get a hat. But if you do send us a good question, we'll send you a hat. How's that? Maybe if you leave a question in the review, we'll give you a hat. Mm. No, you can't. Only do if it's that. a five star that. question in the review. You can't. Five even star do review that. in the question. Yeah. yeah. No. All right. Most of you are in the midst of planning for 2024, but if you want to grow your law firm, you first need to know where you want to go. In terms of measuring where you want to go, Guy, and this is like the big, big number, you and I are going to share three each, our favorite numbers for measuring where you want to go. Guy, take it away. What is. Maybe not your number one, but one of your top three. This is my number one, because okay. at the end of the day, everything else has to be accountable to this. And I'm going to say fees. And again, we could get in, people are going to say, well, what about profit? And I, the profit's a thing, but there's some nuance in why profit, depending on where you are, might not be your thing. Growth and top line fees. I think that if you're not interested in growing your top line fees, you're not really talking about growth. And so... You know, you're talking about total number of new clients at X value per client, but it's fees to me. And then people will say, well, okay, that's great. We want fees to go up. Well, how much? And ideally, you're doing that based on historical data. So ideally, you would say, in the context of marketing expenditures we've made in the past, this is what our historical fee growth has been over certain periods of time. Maybe you go back three years, you know. If you have a benchmark, a data benchmark, that's where I would start. But if you don't, if you're like, I've never tracked anything, like I have no idea, I'd have to go call my accountant and figure out how much money I made, take last year's fees and raise it by a percentage. You know, you want to try to go for the swing for the fences, up to you, but this is just another way to think about it. But if you, if you want to force my hand on a number, I would be thinking like 30% growth. 30% growth of top line fees year over a year, I think is a starting point and you can get all upset about me and say it's not ambitious enough or it's way too crazy ambitious, but I'm trying to give you a number. So start with that. Conrad, what's yours? Well, I like that you mentioned profit 
in there kind of and threw it away a little bit. But we're assuming <laughs> that the people listen to Launch Hour Legal Marketing are interested in marketing and therefore growth. So we're making that assumption. But there is something to be said for that firm that's like, you know what? I'm super happy where we are. I have no desire to be more than the four of us. And we're doing a great job. And then in which case, like growing profits actually very, very relevant. And in those cases, you actually need to be thinking about what are the things I can do to either generate more valuable fees with the time that I have or cut the costs that I don't need, right? Cut the expensive acquisitions. And so I do think profit comes into there. I had revenue down as, as my number one as well. But I do think it is worth a nod to those of you who are not really focused on revenue. And we've talked about this in the past. Tomorrow's revenue is built on today's marketing profit, right? Which is drawn out of your profit. So these two things, there is the harder you pull on one, the, the worse the other one does. And that is okay. It is something to recognize. But you may just be happy where you are, in which case, really talking about improving your profit for the same amount of time you work, that's amazing as well. So I wouldn't necessarily just discount that. My next one, and this is obviously very, very closely tied to revenue, is, is more account on the number of new clients or matters that you're generating, and ideally having that broken out month to month. And that, when you go from revenue, and, and, and it depends heavily on the type of law that you practice, that may be a better metric, right, for what you're actually being able to generate and actually change. So the obvious example is personal injury. But if you want to grow into a practice area, for example, or if you want to, you know, build out a new new attorney who, who's come onto the firm, looking at the number of new clients and new matters that you can actually generate, that's a really great number to then quickly go back up the funnel to understand what you need to be doing from a marketing perspective in order to sign those clients, right? And this is closely tied to revenue, but it is a slightly different way of looking at it. And I think that is really, really important. What about you? We lined up on two. I had the same one. I, I articulate like this number of new clients and the cost of client acquisition oh. in aggregate and by channel. So I maybe I, I love cheated that. by trying to throw too many in there. But you already made all the good points about the number of new clients. I mean, again, if you're opening matters, you're getting retainers signed, presumably you've already done some filtering for the value of that client. So you might have directionally a sense of how much that client's worth. Sure. But to Conrad's point, you might not realize that revenue in the year. And so tracking open you know, new client files, but also the cost of acquiring those new client files. And Conrad mentioned Walker. We've talked a lot about qualitative attribution. That's why I think you got to be thinking about both the aggregate number but also breaking down the channel numbers. So where you do have the more direct response, search, click, call, you're actually saying, hey, look, and this is to me, this is where you really start to dive into the profit thing because if it's costing you more money to get these clients over a long enough time period, then it might be time to say, hey, look, maybe these marketing resources should be deployed in a different way. You're also gonna see that there's huge fluctuation, not just fluctuations, there's huge differences variance in the cost per acquisition for things like referrals than there might be for Google ads or for other, you know, even branding activities. And so I, that's this to me, you know, again, fees has got to be up there, but this is really where the heavy lifting goes, new clients and the cost to acquire those new clients. So you just gave our listeners a really good point and a great budgeting tool for direct response. And by direct, I'm just going to, sorry to dumb this down, but by direct response, we mean 
you're not specifically looking for Smith & Jones Law Firm. You are looking for someone who does personal injury law or whatever it might be. You do that query. You don't have a predetermined answer of who you're looking for. And you're proactively looking to make that hire. That is direct response. And there are channels that are really, really good at that. And they're super directional and they're super linear in that if you know last year it cost you $1,200 to acquire a client through pay-per-click and you want to grow your firm by geese 30%, that needs to be incrementally made up. Your minimum budget, because it's usually going to be your most expensive line item, your expensive marketing channel, take your pay-per-click, just do the simple math, right? We want to grow by 30%. That's going to look like X. We can acquire clients at a cost of Y, divide, and now you start to get an understanding of how many clients you can generate from that marketing channel and what it will cost you to make that happen. Now, the key here is there's the nuance that is, is assumes that there's enough search impression share. You're not already all over the pay-per-click game. And additionally, the more clients you acquire, the more it's going to cost per client to acquire those clients. But it's a really good starting point to understand what my budget might need to be in order to grow to, you know, by 30% or whatever that might look like. Yeah. So I, I love that. The, the flip side of that is many marketing channels work together, right? right? And if it's not direct response, if it's brand work, if it's if it's your your billboards, et cetera, it's much more difficult to do that, right? It is much more difficult to do that. It is a much fuzzier picture. But at the very least, if you just take all the stuff you're doing and divide by all the stuff that you get, you have a rough understanding of what it might take to get where you want to go. All right. Gee, what's your number three? My number three is get, now you're starting to get, after those two, you're getting to leading indicators. And so I'm number of consultation appointments. And I would still be thinking about this in terms of by channel. And I would also segment brand versus non-brand. But the qualified consultation number, that's your best leading indicator. You know, I think you've mentioned the PI stuff uh, in terms of like long-term matriculation of actual fees. This is another way to get a, a prediction of where you're headed because this is pipeline value, right? It's how many consultations you've got and how much you're spending to get these consultations. And again, same thing, everything we said about new clients and cost per acquisition, also true for consultations. Understand the cost per consultation based on channel, non-brand brand, referral, all that kind of stuff. Love it. What's your three? I have it slightly different. My number three, and this is, does not apply to most of our listeners, but I think it's a really good number for the few that it does. If you are a law firm in puberty, your goal should be dropping your caseload. What do I mean by a law firm in puberty? You specifically, you run the law firm. If you can answer yes to any of these questions, why am I working weekends so much? I wish I had time to do something other than cases. Or if your really big conundrum is, who can I hire next? And the answer to that question is, I'm trying to hire a jack of all trades to handle a bunch of stuff for me. Your question, your, your real question is, how dramatically can you reduce your caseload? And you need to reduce your caseload by hiring attorneys or, or bringing on more paralegals to free up your time to go from that lawyer to the lawyer playing the CEO role, 
And so we run a couple masterminds. I talk to lawyers all the time. I have four or five of you who I'm specifically thinking about right now who are wrestling with this problem, but you are in law firm puberty and the key for your success, the key for your growth, not just the marketing growth, but the key for your growth is getting yourself out of the day-to-day. Ken Hardison of Pilma talks about moving from working in your business to working on your business. And the metric to evaluate that is how much have you been able to drop your caseload? I think it's a great point. And the other thing that when you when you bring this one up, and I think this kind of rounds out a bigger piece of this conversation because it really, it makes me think about, I mean, I think about my conversation with Jeff. If you don't talk to your marketing people about this stuff, you're gonna have misalignment between your marketing, your growth, your budgets, and where you're going be. And here's the example. If you're on the phone with Conrad and you're a firm in puberty and you're like, Conrad, I want to grow. And Conrad's like, great, here's your media plan. Here's how much money you're going to spend. Here's what we're going to do. Here's your forecast and all this stuff. And you never tell Conrad that you've got this, I, I'm working weekends. I don't have any bandwidth and I can try right. to hire people. Guess what's going to start happening? You're going to start missing calls. You're not going to follow up with prospects. And so that's really the impetus for all of this is whether you're doing the marketing yourself, whether you're hiring someone, you have a director at your firm, or you're using a fractional marketing person, or you're working with an agency, you've got to talk about all these different elements to your planning because they are all interconnected. And so anyway, I just think it's such a, it's, I love that you put that on the board because it is so important. And again, we talk to lawyers and we'll start going down that path and they'll say, I don't understand why this is relevant to marketing. And it's like, it is, because that's going to be your growth obstacle. Your growth obstacle is going to be, you don't have anybody to work any of these cases. You don't have any right. more time. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that is strangely, We, I'm sure you have clients like this too, Guy. We have a number of clients whose primary constraint is their internal capacity, right? And that is their biggest problem. And I have no desire to get into the hiring game, but boy, oh boy, it's a great problem to have too, right? So you can be more picky and more choosy of who you take and you can look more and more profitable, more things you like or work with clients that you want. Like that's all great, but like really it's a constraint on growth. So that can be your biggest constraint. It's also like one of the hardest decisions to make, bringing on people into it. It's, it's not like you're turning up pay-per-click or turning it down. You're talking about people's lives and so it's really important. Okay, what I want to do next, Guy, we talked about the things that you could look at. Lightning round, what are the things that we should ignore? Oh yeah, cue that lightning round music. So one of my favorite things to ignore is followers. Oh, well, wh- why? Don't they turn into clients, Key? The more people I, I love who love me, are they gonna turn into followers? Aren't they clients? Well, the last time I checked, your landlord for your office lease will not take follower counts in lieu of rent. <laughs> Loosely, you could argue that maybe it's a signal of like your brand awareness, but most of it's noise, not signal. All right, speaking of noise and not signal, I would say ignore what your agency tells you about how good your agency is. Most of them are full of crap and their reports are designed not to be a blueprint for tomorrow, but to be a glowing reflection of what happened yesterday. So I would be very suspicious of your agency, especially if you don't have access to the data that they are allegedly drawing from. Well, you just stole all the rest of these from my list because I had (laughs) traffic, rankings, raw calls, and pixel conversions, which are all great, meaningless agency metrics. 
When you say raw calls, let's dig deeper onto that. Why is raw on your list here? And let's talk about how agencies are dirty and underhanded by reporting on raw calls. Because they're reporting calls from the court, from the clerks, from opposing counsel, from existing clients, from your spouse contacting the firm, to a bunch of like auto robo dialers who are calling your tracking numbers. They're reporting on all that stuff that is not meaningful at all. It's the same thing as reporting raw clicks. Raw session data from Google Analytics is totally meaningless, unfiltered. So I hate to leave this with what sounds like a paid endorsement by our friends at CallRail, but this is exactly why you should have access to your CallRail data and you should be able to configure it so your CallRail only reports on first-time callers. All right, Key, it has come to the end. I enjoyed you in a Care Bear hat. You know, pink and yellow looks surprisingly good on you. We have a buy this weekend, thank goodness. But next week, Michigan game is where? And will we be able to be proud of our boys in maize and blue? <laughs> you, uh, we don't have time I to cover this there. topic. I ambushed Because key. we are wrapping up. And <laughs> I am so grateful to all of you for uh, dropping by. Those of you subscribe, tell your friends, get the word out, launch our legal marketing, get a hat, record a question, leave a review. Thanks so much. Until next time, this is Conrad and Gee signing off. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. I think we're already back because there's no another ad. We're back. There is no ad. I did not read the show notes well. Good to be back. (laughs) If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.